Welcome to Series 2 of Assembly Point, a monthly podcast by the Fire Protection Association. Following a successful first series, Assembly Point provides a collective space in which industry leaders can explore the most pressing issues in fire safety and share expert information and advice. Please be aware that the views expressed by guests in this podcast are their own and not necessarily those of the FPA. We hope you enjoy this episode of Assembly Point. Welcome to Series 2 of Assembly Point, the podcast from the Fire Protection Association that discusses the latest considerations in fire safety. I'm Claire Wright, the Director of Training and Digital Services here at the FPA, and I'm joined today by Jane Duncan, OBE, Chair of the REBA Expert Advisory Group on Fire Safety, and Clive Johnson, Group Head of Health and Safety for Derwent London, to discuss the competency requirements at each stage of the design and construction of a building and how these can be met. Welcome both of you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'd like to start this morning with uh, the latest progress on the Building Safety Bill. Now moving through the House of Lords, the Local Government Association has voiced concerns that there will still be considerable costs to both the health and safety executive and local regulators, including the training and provision of extra staff. And those councils have yet to receive funding for the improvements that will be required. Clive, perhaps if I start with you, Is it fair to say that there's still some way to go before the competency framework outlined in the bill can be implemented? And where do you see the areas that require input from industry? One of the areas that they are looking at is looking at the existing uh, experts within our industry in terms of what competences they had before Grenfell and what competences are required now after Grenfell. So in terms of all that upskilling and um, from an engineering point of view, from a management point of view, and from an you know, implementation point of view from for the competencies. But um, having sat on a recent meeting with the Building Safety Alliance and a recent meeting with Peter Baker, who's the chair of the new regulatory committee, there's there's a lot of work to be done in, in attracting people into, the, into this particular field now uh, to, to get the right competencies to, to make sure that all Judith Hackett's sort of requirements are gonna be met within the bill. So to try and summarise, there's lots of work to be done still on the competency requirements for all the duty holders, but they are making progress with all the relevant subgroups. And as I say, at the end of March should give us all some real indication as to where we are with this with this competency summit chaired by the HSE. So I don't know if anything to add on that, Jane, but that's my sort of two pen off on, on sort of where we are with the with the competency. Yeah, thank you. I think um, we'll all keep an eye on that um, that summit, and I, I do think, as you sort of intimated, that resourcing and is a is a an issue across the piece, really, isn't it? Um, in all areas of fire safety, I think we've seen once we can get these competencies uh, nailed down, um, resourcing continues to be an issue um, and will be for some time to come. I think. I mean, I know the HSC are struggling to get their regulatory inspectors on board. They're after X amount, and I think they've only managed to get a quarter of what they're looking for because of people leaving our industry with all this extra, with all this technical expertise. Um, they're really struggling to, to get these people on board. But. Yeah, definitely. Well, Jane, maybe I can come to you. Um, it would be great to get an update from you on the latest from from the RIBA. Um, we heard from you uh, in 2021, um, so maybe you could just update us a little on the work of the fire safety group. Uh, since last year. 
Well, I've, we've been, I think, like all the rest of the industry, working incredibly hard in the last year um, with, with the draft uh, bills coming out and uh, having to respond to those. It, it's been an interesting time, I think, for, for all of us um, in the industry. But from our position, we have made various statements, in particular with regard to the Building Safety Bill, which is what we've been concentrating on, and the impact that that might have both for our profession and then for how we fit within the construction industry going forwards, because things seem to be changing. The, the, key, th- the key thing, I think, is the um, architect's role as designer, but then as principal designer, which seems to be implied um, that the two go hand in hand. And so the issues of competence of uh, the architect profession to be able to handle both those within the building safety bill is very important. But we've got a few points that we really wanted to to, to home in on, and I'll, I'll take you through those if that would be of interest. So these are in no particular order. We really wanted to have a principal designer appointed at Gateway One. It's really, from our, from our point of view, it's establishing higher risk buildings, certainly. It will be required to have the key safety strategy decisions made at an early stage in the proposal and duty holders then come coming on board at the right time rather than it going too far before we get there so that was a key ask um, and then obviously within the bill the key areas for us are looking at the the duties of those people within the bill and for us the wording needs to be modified because if the duties of people within the bill can't be insured which is looking very possible at the moment, then particularly if you don't have um, duty set out as, you know, far as reasonably practical obligations rather than, you know, a requirement, you may find that there are an awful lot of people very keen to help and get get on board, but actually can't get insured. And I'm, I'm sure it's the same across the industry, certainly for architects since Grenfell, it's been increasingly difficult to get insurance without huge exclusions and these are very very difficult to get over so we really need we need to make sure that either the insurance industry can come on board to help us mitigate risks and understand them but also to make sure that the wording is the one that we can actually stand actually yeah there yeah there's so much to it in terms of the um the regulator responsibilities and the things that they're they're now impacting on um, and you've touched upon a few of them there in terms of the gateways and so on. In in terms of the uh, design and build of social housing, how do you think it specifically impacts on on either design and build or or existing existing buildings? Well, I mean the the, the new regulator's role is going to be you know looking at all residential buildings, you know both current ones and new buildings. So refurbishment or alteration comes into the whole thing. And that for me is exactly right. You can't have the few buildings that we've got that are coming up new um, being dealt with by the regulator and all the ones that are in existence, which are sort of 90% of what we're going to be living with in the next 50 years not being dealt with. If they're coming under the new big building regulation system, it's it's laudable for me. So the I suppose one of the one of the one of the issues it goes back to these this roles and the duty holders and you know who who does what and when but the regulator I think has an oversight which is very welcome again I, I hark back to my youth when I used to talk to district surveyors and we were all scared 
to pieces as young architects of going to see the district surveyor with our detailed drawings. I'm hoping that we'll feel exactly the same way about the new safety regulator. A very specific role, but nonetheless, what we're talking about is getting things right, getting things right so that they have a legacy of quality buildings that are built properly. And that's that's the real key. So, you know, the, the wording within his role, the, the role that the role that this regulator has, um, has to be understandable. I, I'm I'm nervous about lots and lots of parts of his role at the moment that sound quite good, but do we have the do we have enough detail to be able to work with it? If as architects we find that difficult, how are other people going to be able to, to cope? We need to have simplicity and clarity. Yeah, if you, if you don't mind, just to put my two anything on, on, on what Sir James just said. I mean, from, from a developer's perspective, and I, I put myself in a, an informed and intelligent developer's perspective, and I know there's lots of other developers out there that's probably not on the front foot like we are at Derwent. And, these particular hold points where Peter Baker's team are going to be coming in from a client's perspective, you know, we be really considering now adding extra time to a project because of those hold points where they're going to have to come in, you know, you're going to have to think about extending a project that might have been, you know, two and a half years might become two years, sort of nine months or something. You might, we might be adding more time on to, to, to accommodate these sign offs by Peter and his team to make sure you can go to the next stage. So, you know, there's got to be, a, in, Jane talked about the duty holders, you know, from my, our perspective as a duty holder, that's what we can do to help the principal contractors accommodate these sort of um, hold points and gateways to, to, to make sure before we move to the next stage. And then selfishly from a health and safety perspective, quite often having a longer project quite often means that there's not as much rushing <laughs> to get things done. So your, your quality and your safety, you, I, I think you get a bit of both there, but, um, but there we are. I was just going to say, is it more of a, a is there a, there's a cultural shift that needs to happen there, Clive? Uh, absolutely. And I, I, uh, Dame Judy Hackett said it in all her stuff, that it, there's got to be a massive cultural change and behaviours change with, within our industry. And, you know, from a client developer's perspective, we've got that opportunity to sort of set the tone for what we expect from our professional teams and our contractors to help, you know, in, in the spirit of it now, you know, again, James, you think I said, try and implement these things now and not wait for it to come in. And that's what we're doing, but that's not to say that all developers are doing that, you know, so adopting some of the principles already, that's what I'm trying to say. I think, Claire, that this is, this is a very difficult thing for developers. Um, because for me, one of the things that has happened with Grenfell, and, and my, I appreciate, you know, there's, dif there's different sorts of development with social housing or refurbishment or new buildings, but whatever it is, you know, if you, if you, you're, you are where you are now with whatever regulations and situations we're in at the moment, and there's a, there's this other sort of, I don't know, juggernaut of stuff coming towards us, and it's incredibly difficult because my view is that a lot of developers have not acted as Derwent have done, have not said, this needs doing, it, you know, fair, it's a fair cop, Gov. Let's, get to, let's get to grips with this, let's do it properly, let's leave a legacy of great buildings. Um, and uh, it, it's a big jump for, for a lot of developers, I think, just to think differently about people's safety, um, 
from my perspective and from my team, I think also there's a there's a, a lack of consideration of not just whether the building meets certain standards, but whether the building can cope with people. And there's there's a gap. Um, you know, it, one thinks of you know escape distances, for example, which were initially set up when you had squaddies. I think after the war. Um, but now we really are in, a, in, an, in an era where we've got to start thinking about um, people who are less able, people who are, I don't know, pregnant, have children, elderly, and had a football accident, whatever it is. But the point is that all of us at some points in our lives are not able-bodied and we can't necessarily run 75 feet or whatever it is. So We've got an opportunity here, not just to get the, the culture of the industry right and the government to help us with this, with this baseline of prescriptive regulation, but we've also got an opportunity to start thinking about the legacy of what we're producing. And that's as an industry. And I mean, we do need to have um, stars in the industry to, to show how the others can shine. So Dermot, well done. I think I think the opportunity you've got is to create environments for people to thrive and whether that's, you know, in, in the working environment, but, you know, by creating a safe space, a safe environment through all the new sort of implementations of the requirements of the bill is going to attract people in because they know they're going to be operating, living in or working in a safe building. And you can give them some real comfort that everything's been done and they won't have to worry about, have I got the right escape route here? Have I got this there? because they should have that comfort then when they sign for their lease for how many years that we've provided it for them, you know. Yeah, and it's, it's the longevity and, and legacy, as you say, Jane, as well, that we, you know, that we really need to focus on, not just the, you know, quick fix. Um, that's that's the, the big shift, isn't it? Clive, perhaps we can move on to one of the other um, outputs from, from the regulator, which is the role of the building safety manager. Um, we introduced this in our in one of our podcasts last year, um, and we discussed um, that you know to meet the re required competencies that it's unlikely that this this role will sit with one person within any one organisation. Within within your role for Building Safety Alliance, which you mentioned earlier, um, would you be able to discuss your views on this and update us perhaps on the work of the BSA? in preparation for the change um, and to ensure the oversight of fire safety management for the building. Of course, yeah. So uh, out of the press, we only had a meeting on, on uh, Monday, so uh, relatively uh, new what I can share with you. For, for people that don't know too much about the, the Building Safety Alliance, we were formed just over a year ago and we've got sort of, off memory, I think we've got sort of 39 stakeholders from all different industry sectors. So that's from charter building engineers, from uh, developers from London Borough of Camden. There's a whole host of, you know, say 39 different stakeholders that's involved in the Building Safety Alliance to assist in coming up with the competency requirements for this building safety manager you just alluded to earlier. So, you know, we, we've had many, many meetings on what they should have and what they shouldn't have. But one of the key messages that's coming out from everybody, and it certainly did from our, our call the other day, was around looking at the requirements of a building safety manager it's going to be more of a collective approach than an individual because of the the, the requirements that's that's needed now i mean i don't know if i'll be able to i have got a piece of paper here because it's, i just got it this morning from the group in terms of 
what the sort of competency requirements are for a building safety manager. Now, without sending any alarm bells off to everybody out there, there's a, there's a huge list of requirements for that building safety manager to, to have in his armory, you know, from sort of fire, identifying fire hazards in building, behaviours of, of, of a fire and smoke in buildings, you know, understanding of the British standards, you know, management of the property anyway. We've got a list here of 12 competencies that that person should have. Now, not many people are going to get all those whistles and bells. And, you know, we've got to then consider who's going to be nominated for a company's perspective for that appointed person and then work collectively then with a sort of um, a collective amount with people to, to achieve the building safety manager function. So, but saying that, I mean, we're talking building safety manager just for the buildings allegedly in scope at the moment. So we don't, don't forget that where the building safety manager is. But, um, but I do think going forward, a building safety manager should be on, on every property, never mind residential or high rise. It should be a part and parcel going forward. But so there, there are lots of areas of competency required for this building safety manager. And it's all be, going to be coming out in a new pass, a public available specification, which, you know, once it's released then from the uh, Building Safety Alliance, you know, companies, businesses will be able to look to see who in their business will be able to carry out this function. And I know obviously people like ourselves and other developers and um, sort of property managers are looking at these people already. Who can they identify? Now, just on that point, we, we've we've got several buildings that were in scope of the of the of Grenfell. And so we, there is a, a course out already. It's a three-day tall buildings course, which has been developed with Building Safety Alliance to try and equip building safety manager with some of the knowledge that they need. So we've sent our residential managers on that course already just to try and equip them on it. So again, without waiting for it all to happen and become law, you know, we're, we are encouraging industry and property companies to try and understand what's coming and try and you know, sort of get some of their people, you know, embedded into the new requirements before it becomes law anyway. So it's, it's not going to be easy, Claire, to to do this and different companies have a different approach and and, and I don't think it matters what approach you've got because uh, one approach will sort, will sort out one company and a bigger company will obviously have to have a different approach. So it's you've just got to weigh your sort of risk profile up from your buildings to see how you will accommodate the, the new building safety manager function within it. But um, so there's, there's, there's still lots of work in progress and um, you know, I say the Building Safety Allowance has made some massive progress on this now, and we continue then to build this competency matrix. Then, so at some point, when it becomes a pass, it can be released into industry for their for companies to then try and align with it. So, um, so there's lots of work going on in that in that respect. So, absolutely, and as well as the sort of um, the work with the the matrix and the competencies, um, it. How, how will the BSA be able to support the role going forward in, in terms of accrediting or licensing or how, how does the BSA see that? Oh yeah, great point, I should have said that. Now, to be cooked, to get on the Building Safety Manager Register, you're gonna to have to meet these requirements and you will be then on a registered list. So it's a bit like having an approved suppliers list for, for your building safety, but they're gonna to have to meet this criteria to get on this register. So, and then once you're on the register, you obviously have to maintain your 
CPD, maintain all your sort of experiences. So um, you don't sort of rest on your laurels once you've sort of got it. But um, but yeah, so there is going to be a national register for building safety managers, or it's not going to be a person. It could be a as well. And again, uh, Jane mentioned earlier on insurance again as well for your people carrying out this function. I, I would imagine it's going to change significantly as well in terms of um, we're now insuring our existing residential managers to become a building safety manager. So that carries a lot more baggage with it now than it did before. So, you know, we're heavily involved, particularly in Derwent, with our insurers to make sure we got that that sort of covered off, really. But, um, but yeah, so there's going to be a register. And again, it's like when you go for any professional body, then you, you, you would choose from the appropriate federation or register to get your competencies. And, you know, but, um, yeah. And I think just sorry to bang on about this, but one of the other skills which we we have identified in a way is going to be having some really softer skills. So technically, you've got to have the competencies, but in terms of this resident's voice and having to be able to communicate with your residents, you're going to have to have some softer skills to say we're doing this now, we're doing that now. We need your input on this. So there's going to have to be some real sort of um, hearts and minds <laughs> taken out for a building manager to build relationships with their residents you know you know and hopefully residents know what they know about Grenfell so they might be a lot more receptive now to the property owner getting engaged with them on a date on a weekly basis on how the, about the building so you've got to be a softer skills for me as well yeah definitely it's it's at all levels isn't it bringing them um bringing them together from those who are going to be occupying and living in these spaces to you know right the way back to the chain of those who are uh paying for them in the first place and um yeah the build the design and everything in between um and that yeah that i think uh, as as jane was saying a lot of these things are um been spoken about for a long time but the the clarity and simplicity um really needs to be um nailed down doesn't it for to make to make this work and for it to be accessible to everybody no i just it, the industry has got to be accept, got to got to accept that and buy into it and act on it it's still very well having everything written down but the culture the culture of change part of it also has got is, has to be has to be there too i mean just just another area to consider claire for the for the audience today is that you might identify somebody that you think would be a building safety manager or could be, but then again, that person knowing what he knows about his accountabilities now going forward, they may not want to do it <laughs> because these titles attract accountabilities, don't they? And um... Absolutely. And that's why, you know, something like the BSA, the support that they can offer the role, um, as well as the advice with the insurance and so on is, is really what's needed. It's asking a lot of people um but we do need you know the industry needs to be able to support them to do it if if that's what it's saying is needed yeah i, I think there's a, there's a point here in terms of one of the roles which of course we, we we know we're beginning to know a little bit more about what's going to be expected of the um principal designer looking forwards it, it, there seems to be within the um the bill some clarity about the fact that if you are responsible for the design of the of whatever it is and creating the risks therefore you should be responsible for them all the way through in other words architects are the ones that need to take that role and therefore will need competency not just in terms of architectural skills 
um, but also in terms of the, the role of principal designer. So uh, actually at the RIBA, we have um, started work on doing a course. Um, in fact, it's now one of our mandatory competencies for every single architect. It's going to be tested every five years and uh, life safety skills and fire safety skills. So they, they love, they love, they all love me now. But beyond that, we're also setting up courses, which mean that um, people can actually train to become these competent principal designers on high risk building. It's a, it's a very specific role, uh, but hopefully we'll be able to get everybody insured if they take one of these courses. But you know, we will we'll see that the, the duties are very onerous. You're quite right, Clive, for everybody. So you've got to have the right people and you've got to have enough of them if it's going to become a requirement. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, so um, moving on to um, a, a bit more about around the regulatory regime, um, it require, will require various groups in construction and housing com compliance to work together to deliver the golden thread of information as set out in Dame Judith Hackett's report, the Building a Safer Future and also the draft Building Safety Bill. This will be a, uh, likely be a complex administrative challenge for the industry. Um, so perhaps we've touched upon some of it, but maybe I can ask you both the same question. Um, how can this challenge be addressed uh, and what collaboration is needed from the whole design chain? Perhaps, Clive, I can start with you. Uh, thank you for that. Well, the golden thread of information, I, I align it a lot with what previously, well, currently still is required with this sort of information that a client provides for his pre-construction phase of his, for the, for the construction work. So. For me, the golden thread is about providing that information, but going forward in more of a sort of uh, having an electronic facility to, to, to embrace it all, because there's going to be a lot more than, than we've ever had before on, on that. And, and from a client's perspective, you know, under the regulations, we've, we've got that obligation to make provision for the, for, the, for the golden thread of information. And, and again, it's got to be specific, it's got to be relevant, and it's got to be all those, all those things. And, you know, there's there's lots of basic details that go in it there, but you know we're going to be including things about number of splinter heads and staircases, which Jane alluded to earlier. Do we have one staircase? Two? <laughs> You've got to. There's a different way of thinking now for people getting out of buildings than there ever has been, and um, looking at proposed facade systems and you know whatever system you do decide to use, it's having the thought process and evidence to prove if you challenge that you have got the right facade system in place. So um, it's all about you working out if you've ever challenged on anything as to why you get to these decisions. So, so there's a whole host of different information that we've, we've put together an information pack within our business in terms of what we would expect within the golden thread of information. And as say, as Judith Hackett said, to ensure that that stays with the building for a future, for refurbishment, for, and then for, for demolition, you know, so it's got to, for the whole life cycle of the building, that information has got to be there, updated, and, and, and monitored. So um, again, it's, it's something which you might say we should have had already, but um, you know we, we have a, obviously had operation and maintenance manuals for many many years. But my experience is that they've never always been updated. They, they, they get put on a shelf or they get parked up on some system somewhere, and you have some refurbishment done and fire stopping done, and they, and it's never updated. So I think this is a, a really great discipline to again instill into building managers and construction processes to make sure we get this keep it relevant so it's there when anybody comes knocking you can you can provide the information and then as i say for the life cycle 
building as well. You know, but um, but again, we don't want to overburden it either. It's got to be relevant. The information got you don't just dump everything in there. You've got to make it relevant to to the building and the and the use of the building. It's easy to just dump everything into it. Perhaps the way the information is compiled um, and how is it stored, how is it managed, how is it updated? You know, there's a whole there's a whole piece on that as well, isn't there? And um, how you know how that's likely to be different um, across the across the country. I think that for me, the golden thread starts with uh, the first thought about what you're going to do, and I think the easiest thing to do is actually obviously those that are in the UK BIM framework are going to find this a lot easier. Because that 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 movement of information is already it is already captured, and it's an information shared which facilitates this. But I mean, if you're not actually within that framework, or you're not working in those ways, then there's probably a little bit more that you've got to put into place. But but the point is very basic. If you start as architects do inevitably designing a building you have to consider the risks of the design of that building very early on and you have to you have to go through a process of understanding those risks and putting those down and then as you develop into post gateway one so you're actually doing construction information the information becomes more technical it needs to go through a more rigorous process with with all of the design team so that you can hand over something that is clear to be constructed because from my perspective it's not just a golden thread of information about sort of how you design something or what the information is but the point is how do you then ensure that the construction follows that thread and for, for me uh, I mean we've been talking a lot about this um, at the RIBA you know uh, there needs to be there needs to be standards cr created there needs to be regulatory processes created um, around sort of inspection, if you like, of the work. How do you do it? How do you know you've done it satisfactorily? Um, how do you certify um, construction? Certainly, all the duty holders are going to have to be able to agree this process. Um, so it, ne it needs to be settled. It needs to be understood. And there needs to be a route. I know that, that there is a puzzle on the way for this, but it, it's it's very important that it's not just not just a route that everybody you know nods and thinks oh well that's done we'll put it in the drawer. Um, it really needs to be a live document and the people whoever is in in charge who's the people that are changing, taking responsibility really need to ensure that the process goes from the first twinkle in the eye of the developer right the way through to to the management of the pro of the of the building or whatever it's going to be afterwards. So. Clarity on how you achieve that is important. I mean, we have a something of an issue within architecture at the moment that a huge number of projects, particularly social housing, are being created by architects at the design phase. And the architect may then be innovated to do a part process, which could be um, basic construction drawings. And then the, then the information is, is, is taken away. So within that design and build system, which sometimes is, is, is eloquent and elegant, but on other times it's, it's just a means of cutting off the annoying people that are insisting on quality because it costs money, obviously it does, quality costs money. You, you need to make sure that this golden thread includes all sorts of different things. And 
if you if you're given a document or you you're seeing on a digital document something that says you must do this and you must do it like this and you have to have it you know very clear and somebody disregards it it's then it's not a matter of fingers pointed but you can understand what's happened and that is something that we haven't been able to do um and although there are undoubtedly developers and builders who are you know maintain an administrative system which is very clear and you can go back over it and you can check what's happened i don't think that's the the same right across the board so if if there's an inspection process and not all architects are great at inspection because a lot of them don't do it anymore we need to be able to 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 challenge our architects to pick those skills up and become more competent in inspection through a standard and a regulation process so that they know what they need to achieve on site. I'm going to ask, just ask if you can see some potential um, barriers to or resistance to the to the sharing of that information with this um, theory in, in mind of the, of, of the golden thread, which sounds, you know, it sounds like a nice idea. But what, you know, could you can you see any potential barriers that people might have to doing that? Do I see barriers? Yes, I think this represents change to a lot of people and people don't like change because they're going to have to make, you know, some people think differently within their organisations. But, you know, personally, I welcome change because if you're improving things by by doing change, I mean, it, it doesn't seem ridiculous for me that a developer would want to improve whatever they're, they're creating. But not all developers consider that and maybe they're not too worried about what happens in the future. So, yes, there's a mindset change. I mean, Dame Judith Hackett just nailed it. She really did. People gaming the system, she said. Um, regulation's not fit for purpose. A whole, a whole industry which doesn't necessarily do the right thing by the people that are going to be in their buildings. And change is very difficult and very tricky and sometimes expensive. So, yes, there are going to be barriers. Okay, so... The Scottish Fire and Rescue Service have compiled a 72-page report into the Macintosh building fire. Clive, one of the report's key recommendations was that all construction workers and anyone with site responsibility must receive fire safety training and that management teams responsible for construction projects must appoint fire safety experts to assess the risks on site. How do those responsible for overall project health and safety now need to act? Thank you for that very relevant question for me. That's a post Grenfell. Uh, in, in my sort of position of chairing the the HTC's Konyang Working Group uh, around managing risk, one of the areas we identified that construction was lacking was competency around people managing the construction fire plan. Okay, so having that information about Grenfell and, and other areas of, of, of construction fire, I invited both the the HSE's sort of expert in fire and the insurer's expert in fire, because you have to not only comply with the HSE HS168 for fire on a construction site, but you've also got to comply with the JCOP version nine for insurance requirements, but the both don't work together. So you've got to meet both. So we, we brought both, both experts in to the, into one of our offices with all our principal contractors from the big boys to the small boys to really, to try and identify what we were doing at the moment. And quite clearly, the 
construction fire plan was probably being managed by several people uh, or, or given to the health and safety manager to do where really it didn't have that construction fire related knowledge and that's what we identified pretty quickly so this goes back to what this report found out about where are we looking every day at temporary fire stopping before we finish work are we getting all combustible materials out at the end of each day and all these sort of issues which we were flagging up and you know, and, and unfortunately, I witnessed several years ago where the, the 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 insurers they pulled an insurance their insurance of a project because they weren't doing certain things daily. So one of our challenges was then to put a competency matrix together for all the duty holders within the construction process in terms of what their construction fire knowledge should be to be a principal designer, principal contractor, right down to to the workers. So, but it gives clear guidance for people managing construction fire throughout the construction phase. So it's, it's, we, we believe it's been a great piece of work done to, to help that construction phase. And hopefully if these maybe have been implemented, we may not have had the same, what we did up in, in Scotland. But it does need upskilling again. And as Jane said again, it needs change. <laughs> you know, you know, they might say, well, we need another resource within the project management team now to look after the fire plan. Well, so be it. You've got to manage it because the fire, you know, on a daily basis changes, you know, everything changes from the different sequencing of the project. So you've got to have somebody with that knowledge to know that we're doing that type of work now. So it's brought more risk into the building. We've now got rid of that. So it's reduced that risk into the building and you need that knowledge within the construction team to be able to adapt daily to those construction changes. When it comes to building product specification, architects rely on the products meeting the safety claims as advertised. Jane, perhaps I can ask you, how can the building products industry and the design industry work together to maintain the trust that the fire safety claims are accurate? It's a, this is huge. This is, a, this is a huge issue for anybody that specifies materials. It isn't just architects. Um, the, tr the truth is that it's it's really tricky um we have for years just made an assumption that a product that we've used before can be used again because it's if you look at the marketing stuff or any 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 accreditation or testing information one assumes that it's right and what we've heard in the inquiry does question that and it's very scary so the key thing here is we've got to have not just um, the, the product sector itself. I know they're looking at looking at this themselves, but they have to produce reliable specifications and they have to produce performance information, which we can absolutely rely on because it's been based on proper and verifiable testing. And we don't have to go back and look at the tests to make sure that they were the right thing. And really, of course, the marketing information is where we see it from our perspective. And it really should not be allowed to have misrepresented product performance. Um, unfortunately, that has been the case. And um, we need to make absolutely certain it doesn't happen again. Now, I know that there are groups that are looking at this in detail, but the government, from my perspective, is doing the right thing at the moment. They're establishing this national regulator for construction projects and products. And for me, that means that somebody's overseeing things. 
So you're, you're going to hopefully have a much more effective regulatory regime and also, of course, enforcement and overseeing of testing. And, that, and that's, that's going to be a, a, an ex, a very excellent proposal. Um, so one final question, really, then, um, which is around the um, the move towards low carbon methods of construction um, and what's known as uh, commonly termed as modern methods of construction becoming far more desirable. Some of these methods do pose a greater fire safety risk. Um, and how um, how can we mitigate those? Um, Jane, if I if I ask this one of you. Well, we're in an era of climate emergency where we've got to start thinking differently. No, not start. We've got to we've got to wind up our thinking. But there is there's there's no question that there are construction methods which are perfectly suitable for low rise buildings, but maybe need to be more um, considered, researched. Um, and and looked at in terms of a sort of a real life world out you know application to to look at the materials being used to see that they're safe not only as we've already heard under construction because one's got you've got to consider the the safety of the people that are doing the constructing as well as you know neighbours if buildings um, catch fire and, and and then the fire spreads but also those people into the future my own view is I mean for for example. CLT, timber frame, other methods of construction, which I'm absolutely supportive of, need to be considered with a, a very large amount of um, clarity and careful uh, research under proper situations, not just sort of a piece of timber, but a whole wall system needs to be needs to be tested. This this links back to the requirement for the construction products to to be tested properly. Everything needs to be tested. And it hasn't necessarily been tested thoroughly enough for me. And we need a we need a national system. We need to test on a, on a national basis. We can then rely on what we're told. And then everybody it's it, it's very hard, you know, for, for an architect who's mainly a free spirit to say we need more regulation. But the truth is you have to if it doesn't exist and you've got a problem. It, it, it is you've got to have this baseline of understanding you know how testing takes place how you um, rely on products to, to keep people safe whether they're constructing a building or living in it or managing it it, it, it you still you still need that safety to be the, the, the be paramount really Thank you so much, both of you, um, just for taking your time today to share your your views and your thoughts, and for keeping the keeping the debate moving. I know it's something that occupies you both um, probably day and night. Uh, it's it's a big it's a big piece we're in the midst of, and um, you know we're beginning to get to pull the strands out now um, to see where we where we're going to go in the future with it. So thank you so much. It's been really uh, really interesting talking to you both. Thank you for listening to the FPA's Assembly Point podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. To avoid missing out on future episodes, hit the subscribe button. To listen to previous episodes of Assembly Point, or for more guidance and resources on reducing the risks of fire, please visit thefpa.co.uk.